Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. You are looking live, ladies and gentlemen, to a 10 and 3 Minnesota Vikings team. Uh, this is the Real Forno Show. We're going to have some fun here tonight. We're going to talk loose and light about this Minnesota Vikings team, what this past weekend means as we project forward. And we also have a special guest, Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star. He is a beat writer for the Indianapolis Colts and a good friend of mine. We are going to talk about this team, the game on Saturday, and what the Colts could do to potentially spoil the Vikings celebrating a division championship. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Welcome to the Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack Run and Shooter. Host of the good, the bad. And the Hungy on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a member of Climbing the Pocket. Bingo, bango, bongo, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. In, in a different spot this week, you have Dave down in the bottom right corner. And to my left, a special guest. Um, he is Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star uh, beat writer for the Colts, who the Vikings play this Saturday in a primetime noon game, uh, with uh, being the only game on in that slot. Nate, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. I'm kind of surprised they put this game in that time slot where like, they get to have the only window for the world, which keeps happening to the Colts for some reason. They're, I don't think they're really the reason, though, this week or last week when, or the week before when they played the Cowboys, but helps to play good teams, I guess, and get on – uh, primetime slots like that so everyone can watch. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons that it, it ended up in this spot is because you obviously know that you have a Monday night football game and you have a Sunday night football game. And then each network gets to protect one game. So this was probably their best option, which if it's your best option, man, that's a that's a little bit of a disappointment because like let's take a look at this Indianapolis Colts team, Nate, because there were some high expectations and you and I had some conversations about how Matt Ryan could be the catalyst to kind of taking this team over the top and making a real playoff run. Unfortunately, it hasn't happened as such. Ryan got hurt, uh, and then Frank Reich ended up losing his job, and the Colts now sit at eight or four, eight, and one on the season. Like, where is this team right now? Uh, yeah, not in a great place. They're coming off the bye week now, which it's weird with how chaotic their season has been. They would have loved to have that a month or two ago. But they've had so many issues, I don't know that a bye week would have corrected it all anyway. They just – it really did make sense coming into the year when you think about a team that was 9-8 and eight last year. In fact, they were 9-6 and six till they collapsed the final two weeks. And it just felt like a, they were they were kind of a quarterback away is how they approached that offseason, moved off from Carson Wentz. Uh, kind of got lucky that Matt Ryan became available in the, in the way that he did. And then he requested a trade there. And it just felt like, in theory, if you could match sort of the – uh, the accuracy, the ball placement, and just the leadership of Matt Ryan with 
ascending skill talent like Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. in a surging offensive line and a really good defense that they had a route in one of the weakest divisions to at least have a chance of winning that division and then get in the playoffs, maybe get a home playoff game and see what happens from there. Kind of was all on the table, and then it just, it, for some reason, it just none of it really came together. The only part of that formula that's really been there has been the uh, the defense has been pretty solid. I think they're ranked 12th in DVOA, which is about what they've been all year. Not an not elite defense, so maybe maybe a hair off what some people hoped, but it's mostly been there. But it just goes to show in this era of football, that's not enough, and they, they've been nothing but turnovers on offense. Uh, they they've not had you know last year Jonathan Taylor had 500 more rushing yards than any other player in football. This year they're 31st in rushing. So the formula wasn't there for Matt Ryan to succeed, even if he was on top of his game. But then you do see a little bit has fallen off with him, uh, arm strength, and he's gotten hurt. He's separated a shoulder, and uh, he he's just not really built to thrive through this. And and they just really reacted in a poor way. How surprised they were, and how slow the offense started. And that's when they started firing people, and that's when it's kind of gotten away from them. How much of this, because uh, obviously we mentioned at the top Frank Reich lost his job, how much is he a scapegoat for some of the errors that Chris Ballard has made? Because as great as he is with roster moves in certain positions, he's built a very good offensive line. He's made some shrewd moves to get some key defensive players, but he has really struggled to bring in one like skill position talent uh, as a whole. And two, he has not been able to fix the quarterback position. How much do you believe Reich was a scapegoat for that? Yeah, I think it falls on both of them in different ways, but I I would put more on the personnel right now than the head coach, because it is hard to have a different quarterback every single year. And, you know, some of that was obviously bad luck with Andrew Luck retiring and especially the time that he did. But to, it's just amazing to think that happened back in the uh, 2019 preseason, and they've never drafted a quarterback and tried him as the starter. Uh, so they, they they put themselves in a spot where they were always starting new each season. So they're starting slow. They're trying to climb out of these holes. And there was going to be one year where they weren't able to do that. That just catches up to you eventually. And this, I guess, was this year, but it's still kind of weird because they were, you know, they were 3-3-1 three, three and one at a certain point when Matt Ryan gets hurt. And that's when ownership demands that they start Sam Ellinger and they announce that Matt Ryan's the bench for the rest of the year. And that created sort of all kinds of turmoil behind the scenes. And I mean, Ryan was hurt at that time, but I think it was up to Frank Reich. In fact, I know if it was up to Frank Reich, he would have played Nick Foles because he won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Sorry to bring up uh, some bad memories for this podcast group, but, uh, but yeah, it's, that kind of set it off though. The the moment that they had to play Sam Ellinger. So that part's neither, really Ballard or or Reich, but Ballard certainly wears enough of this because when I talked about that formula, the excitement that they had when they got Matt Ryan, the idea was that they would finish the project. Whenever teams have brought in someone, a quarterback, high, highly accomplished quarterback via trade, whether it's you know a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning or a Matthew Stafford, the teams have gone out and gotten those guys, the complimentary parts. They've kind of pushed the chips in and, and seen where it went. And this team just felt like he was going to be the answer to everything. And it turned out that 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 wasn't an answer. They had issues at, um, you know, they had a highly paid offensive line, but they kind of mailed it in at left tackle and right guard, um, kind of mailed it in at tight end after Jack Doyle retired. And by mailing it in at right guard, that, that meant letting Chris Reed walk to Minnesota. And that ended up being a tremendous loss for this team. You would never think that 
uh, right guard would be that big of a loss, but it has been with quarterback like Matt Ryan. So Ballard definitely wears enough of it. He's built a nice defense every year. They've been a pretty good defense. That's the side of the ball he gets the most, and there's, he deserves some credit for that. But what he really wanted was to build a team that is dominant running the ball, dominant in the trenches and protects the quarterback. And they've been none of that this year. And, and they had some chances to do it in the offseason. They just didn't really complete the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think he hit the nail on the head. And one thing that was interesting, because obviously we see something um, in when it happens in real time, but we don't understand a lot of what happens behind the scenes. Um, obviously... Jim Ursay is an owner who is not afraid to be brash and brazen. And he hired Jeff Saturday essentially off the street to be this team's head coach. And it raised a lot of interesting questions, Nate. Um, two-parter. One, that what was, go- what was the reaction behind the scenes uh, as far as your perspective to the Jeff Saturday hire? And is this something that you believe is going to become a trend? Because we've seen in other sports – Baseball players become managers. Hockey players become head, head coaches. And in the NBA, like guys like Derek Fisher don't even become assistants. They just go from player to coach. So we've seen this in other sports. And do you think this could be a trend that potentially starts in the National Football League? I mean, it's possible. You know, I remember first the first time this idea really I, – I, or maybe it's just the last time this idea was really out there was when the Texans were – reportedly, you know, considering hiring Josh McCown to the head coaching job, and he had never coached before, and there was such an uproar about the idea of that. And then they kind of waited around for a while and almost felt like it's something they wanted to do, but then they didn't do because it didn't fit. And then the Colts decided to just go ahead and do that kind of thing. And I I think they thought it was different because it was an interim position, that it, you know, it's it's a temporary thing. It's not, you know, the the re-imaging of the franchise, but it did ruffle some feathers in it outside the building. You know, you heard some of the reactions on the outside, whether it was Joe Thomas or Bill Cowher, had a lot of issues with the idea that, you know, you get to skip the line as a coach and and become a head coach when you hadn't done the work as an assistant or as a college coach. And then, you know, inside the building, there's, there's been some questions too. And Jeff did a nice job when he got here of just kind of being himself and and showing humility and and trying to be there for the players and understanding them from a player's perspective. you know, point of view and that, you know, for the first game, they beat the Raiders and there were some good vibes off of that in that moment. But it, over time, you know, it, it's just a very difficult job. There's a million things on his plate. He's learning new things every single week that he didn't realize were part of being a head coach or or did realize, but you don't know it until you're there. That's that's happened with some clock mm-hmm. management, game management decisions, injury decisions. So it just goes to show that um, there's a reason guys spend, you know, their lives to earn these jobs. Uh, that I don't think that means that you know a young coach can't cut it or that that that's the only way to do it. But I, I don't really think this is going to necessarily start a trend unless you know unless the Texans are looking at this situation saying, well, if if the Colts did it and we really want to hire Josh McCown, then what are we waiting for? And if they do that and then it's successful, then I think that opens the door a little bit more to out of the box thinking. Uh, maybe you get away from some of the just constant retread hires. But I think for the most part, uh, you'd think most teams would realize like there is a value to experience, not just for what you've learned, but for the credibility you've, you've built with players, with coaches, everyone that you have to lead in, in one of the you know highest profile jobs. It just takes a lot to do it. No, I, I would completely agree. And as Dave mentioned, guys in the comments, 
you have any questions for Nate, please feel free to drop them in. We have him until 6.30 Central Time, and we are really blessed to have him here so we can get into better understanding of the Indianapolis Colts. And as far as kind of what the product is on the field now, you mentioned that the team um, is kind of built to run the football, Jonathan Taylor, but they are last in rushing. Taylor's missed some time with a high ankle sprain. So obviously I'm guessing that's going to play a decent amount into it with how this team is going to translate against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are the worst team in total defense in the National Football League. They have allowed 400 yards to each of their last five opponents. Uh, how w- are the Colts built to try and be able to take advantage of some of the stuff through the air? Do they have the capabilities with a healthy-ish Matt Ryan to be able to do so? Yeah, I know the Vikings are struggling on defense right now. The raw numbers are tough. I was looking into it. They, they seem a little bit better in some of the advanced metrics because the teams they're playing are pretty good. You know, the Cowboys and the well, even the Lions are, are really tearing it up on offense. So the Colts are not that type of offense that's going to just come in there and sort of pulverize their weaknesses. Uh, they just haven't really done that to anybody. They've had one game this year where they've scored more than 20 points, and that was when they played the Raiders, who – might have the worst defense, and they scored 25 that game. So it just kind of shows you it's a bit of a struggle because the Colts, they're in this constant battle where they're trying to figure out, you know, do they do they do everything to minimize turnovers and give themselves a chance to stay on the field and not put their defense in bad situations? Uh, or, they, or do they try something that's creative and explosive? Because when they've tried to be protective – you know, they've done things they've done things like just get the ball out just all quick game with Matt Ryan, or they've done things like just run the ball and, and really have a simple um kind of short passing game offense. And and that hasn't been explosive at all. It's been they've kind of crawled down the field, they still score about sixteen points a game. You know, or there's games where they, they open it up. They were in a shootout a couple weeks ago against the Cowboys where it was they actually had nineteen points in the first half, which is you know, it felt like felt like their best game of the year. And then that caught up to them. They ended up turning the ball over five times. So I don't know that they're really the best equipped to take advantage of that. Now it's possible that, you know, this, it is a new head coach. Uh, it's new uh, offensive play caller. They just got thrown into this. I'm sure the bye week is going to help them self scout a little bit, get a little bit better of a plan. So I wouldn't be surprised if they came in with just a few more wrinkles than, than the very simple approach that they've had in the past. But if they're going to have a good offensive game, I think you just got to find some way to get Jonathan Taylor going and hope that uh, hope that the bye week let that ankle heal. Um, it had been getting better. He's been running better, but he hasn't been able to – like last year he would hit you know, ball carrier speeds of like 22 miles an hour and just run away from everybody and end the drive for the touchdown. He hasn't been able to do that this year. So maybe the bye week gets them to that. If, it, if, if they can get that, um, the, you know, they need a drive or two where they, they can end it that way. But I know it looks like, the, I mean, the Vikings are, you know, they're, they're more capable against the run than the pass. The teams have really hit them through the air. And I, I just wonder about kind of where Matt Ryan is and where this, the, you know, the, the offensive line and the scheme are to take advantage of that. Maybe a bye week gets them all healthier and, and more prepared for that, but they've got to show a lot. No, that makes complete sense. Where is this? Because you mentioned how the the Colts offensive line has had struggles. And you mentioned Chris Reed, which is kind of funny. Chris Reed hasn't actually seen an offensive snap yet this season because of the emergence of second-round pick Ed Ingram, who has allowed the most pressure for PFF. Yeah, um, we we kind of – 
we kind of advocated for it just because, hey, you can get a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick for a guy who's a capable player that you're just you're just not going to play. And I, at least he's making a couple million bucks. That's the benefit of it. But they are obviously weak at the right guard position, something the Vikings fans know way too well. But that offensive line, how good are they at pass protection? Because this Vikings defense is built to be able to get pressure with four and then play coverage on the back end. And they've been, they've had a lot of struggles getting pressure. Is it something that they'll be able to take advantage of with this line? Yeah, it's really ironic. Chris Reed ended up leaving Indianapolis because he wanted a more sure chance to start. And so he goes to Minnesota where now he's not playing at all. Whereas like he would be an every down starter for the Colts right now because they can't find anybody to play right guard. So yeah, I think the Colts, they, they're in trouble there. They, it's gotten a little better since they added, you know, since Jeff Saturday came on board. He's sort of a second offensive line coach since he played the position, center position for 14 years. And that's where he's put a lot of his time. So they have more resources there. They've they finally got the same five starters that they've rolled, been rolling out since he got here. It's a little better. It's, it's not quite as many free rushers as they had early in the year. Uh, miscommunication from that group isn't as bad as it was in pass protection. So they're not getting maybe blindsided quite the same way for like the most majority of the game. The problem for them is anytime they're in a situation where they, the other team knows that they're throwing, if it's two minute situations, uh, you know, time on the clock or, or third and 10 or something like that, they're really in a tough spot because they've got a couple of really young players, basically rookies. They've got a rookie left tackle and Bernard Ryman, out of Central Michigan, who's who's just kind of a project. He's getting better. Um, he's learning the position because he grew up in Austria. But but there's at least a couple times a game that when teams can tee off on him and set him up with a rush plan off the edge, he ends up losing that to veterans at some point during the game and lose. And when he loses, it's it, you know it, it ends up being a pretty be- big play because um, the misses are just kind of big right now. And then at right guard the spot we keep talking about. They've got Will Fries, who's a second-year player, who's, you know, he's a he's a capable pass protector, but but he can get beat sometimes, too, by the stunts. And stunts have really killed Colts all season long. They haven't communicated them well enough. Their, their interior play hasn't been quite strong enough. Um, Ryan Kelly, really, if you talk about the offensive line as a whole, it was supposed to be good because of Quinton Nelson at left guard, Ryan Kelly at center, and, and Braden Smith at right tackle were supposed to be stalwarts. And right now, it really Quinn Nelson looks good. Uh, Braden Smith looks good, but Ryan Kelly, the Pro Bowl center, has really, really, really declined. So really, their the interior of their line and their left tackle has just been uh, problematic enough that there's always somewhere for kind of smart and well schemed defenses to go. So um, if the if the Vikings uh, if they can get them in predictable pass situations, which I'm guessing their offense will force them to do, um, stop the run enough to get it to happen, and then also you know, if they just have a couple of creative games, stunts and, and twists and things like that, I, I don't think they'll have a hard time getting some pressure. Makes complete sense to me. Now, on the other side of the football, you mentioned that the Colts have the 12th ranked DVOA defense and the Vikings just finished a stretch where they played all top four uh, DVOA defenses. At least they were going into week 14 at, with the Patriots, Jets, Cowboys and Bills. Um, what kind of challenges do the uh, Colts defense really present to the Vikings? Because the Vikings have shown that they like to air it out. They like to throw a lot of intermediate routes, crossers, 
in breaking routes, hitches, and then they try and find Justin Jefferson over the middle of those deep crossers. Um, how can the Vikings take advantage of that unit? Yeah, it's a close defense that's pretty good. There's it's there's sort of a sort of a step short of elite. Um, part of it again, their offense has just put them in too many bad situations and not enough good situations where they can pin their ears back, get after the passer, and um, have eyes on the quarterback to create turnovers. But they're also just they seem like a one playmaker short of being that real elite defense that makes plays throughout a game. So they're good at getting off the field. They um, up until the last game, they stopped the run at just a remarkable rate, and then they they had a really a, an off game against the Cowboys, who you know rolled out um, kind of three headed monster with with uh, Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard, and, and Dak Prescott, and really a creative rush plan. Even Ceedee Lamb was taking it on jet sweeps, so. That gave them problems. For the most part, they've shut down the more traditional, uh, more predictable run games. Uh, but they're a little bit more vulnerable, vulnerable across the middle of the field uh, because uh, that's just they're built like Stephon Gilmore. You know, is an outside corner who's um, he's still playing at the level he's always been at, Pro Bowl level. Uh, he's has almost all their interceptions this year, but they're a little more vulnerable in the slot than they've been. So that's one way if, if they if, if the Vikings want to move Jefferson there. And then just, you know, sometimes the, the pass rush comes and goes for this team. So, you know, DeForest Buckner some, has his moments, but he's getting double teamed a lot. And so it's about do they get enough out of those other edge spots? Luckily for them right now, Pay is healthy as a for, former first-round pick. And when they have him out there opposite Yannick Ngakwe, they tend to do pretty well with with getting to the passer. It's it's whenever one of those guys has to come off the field and they get tested into their depth that teams tend to have that extra, you know, step up in the pocket. When they do that, you know, guys can break off coverage. And um, Colts safeties are solid, but they're not, you know, they're, they're more about keeping things in front of them. So they can definitely be hit for a lot of like sort of the intermediate chunk plays. Uh, Justin Jefferson always gets his, so I, I have no doubt that he will. Uh, but what does help the Colts is that when he is – not in the slot, you know, they, they'll put Stephon Gilmore on him. And and uh, and Gilmore has is, is kind of risen to the challenge of most receivers. He's played at least to limit them for the most part compared to what they normally do. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Vikings are willing to move Jefferson in the slot because they love those condensed formations and they love trying to maximize matchups. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see how they try to keep him away from Stephon Gilmore. I think that could end up being the key to this game. A um, couple questions here for you, and they kind of re- resolve um, around coaches. Um, and then we'll get to Raymond's questions here. Um, Davey Chains asks, what impact will Jeff Saturday have in the long term going straight to head coach without having any um, any coaching experience? And then a follow-up here. This, one, um, this one's from Nate or Raymond. Um, Is your ownership trying to put his finger too much into things? And how how could that affect like the next coaching hire? Because the uh, obviously we can talk until we're blue in the face about how Jeff Saturday is going to perform as a head coach. But how does this change the narrative for how the Colts are going to be able to hire future coaches? Yeah, it's interesting. It's you know, it's as far as Jeff Saturday, if it ends up just just being an interim stint, I don't think that will necessarily affect other coaches so much it will it could affect guys on their own staff who may want to stick around or or not stick around some of them have not they've, they've been clear that they're not thrilled with some of the shakeups that have gone on um 
I think what's going to hurt them more for looking at other coaches is kind of that other question about Jim or say meddling too much because when he when he got involved in the quarterback decision that became you know a big red flag around the NFL is that you don't if you're going to take a job in the NFL you want two things you want a quarterback for one but if you don't have that set stable quarterback already there you want the chance to to make your impact on that draft your guy develop him be patient be in control of that and if a coach comes in and he's not in control of that you know, even to the point where what Jim Irsay did was he he asked for he didn't ask to go to the second string quarterback. He wanted to go to the third string quarterback, who was a six round pick who'd never played. He was running the scout team. Uh, if you get to that point, you know that's that ended up kind of getting Frank Reich fired. And that's where a lot of coaches I think are going to look at this and wonder because everything for this franchise moving forward is they've got to finally draft a quarterback. I'm almost sure that's going to happen this year, but you you know the process with that. You got to be really diligent about when when you bring him in, who's the bridge ahead of him, and you know, when you bring him in, how do you shower him with confidence, make him feel like it's his team, that it's not going to get yanked from him the next week. That's all, all the questions that they're going to have to answer because of some of the the actions that their uh, that their owner decided to take this year. Yeah, and I think I think that's going to be a fascinating one, especially with some of the quarterbacks because the Colts will probably be out of the range of Bryce Young, but then you talk about guys like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. The, that real developmental guy that's going to need that kind of nurturing. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, Raymond asks, yeah, he's one of our, our better listeners here. Is the Colts defense good or are they good because of the who they've had to play? Because obviously we saw that Cowboys game. That fourth quarter looked like the biggest anomaly in the history of football based on the, how the rest of the game transpired. Like, How good is this Colts defense? Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Like by DVOA, they're 12th, and DVOA takes into the account the skill of the opponent. So there are times when they look really, really good, but then you realize it is, you know, it is some of the you know worst offenses you could be. Like they were great against the Broncos, but uh, we know the story with the Broncos is a lot of people look good against them. But I mean, as far as facing good teams, like the they they've had their moments of, of looking good there too. They held Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to. Uh, 17 points, I want to say, you know, they, they picked him off in the final drive, really contained him. Well, just, he tried, he tried all this stuff that he does against teams all the time where he scrambles around forever and finds a guy. And they just like kept chasing him back until he was too far back and no one was open. So they they've had moments where they looked good in the Cowboys game. Uh, they were lacking a little bit throughout that game. It wasn't going to be one of their better games, but like you said, it really blew up in the, in the fourth quarter once all the, you know, they got to five turnovers and their tired run defense is getting put back on the field constantly in a primetime game the last week before a bye week. Like There's a lot of reason to believe that that, that isn't really who they are. Um, but for the most part, what they are is a team that that, uh, that handles the run very consistently, that can get tripped up a little bit against misdirection, um, and then really handles, handles teams really well, just doesn't force quite as many turnovers as you would like an elite defense to force. But I still think they'd be getting a lot more credit if they had a good offense, especially an offense that could ever put them in a situation where teams are having to come back on them. I think they could feast, and and that's where guys like Stephon Gilmore and DeForest Buckner and uh, and Yannick Ngakwe would make more plays than they're making this year. Awesome. Nate, we appreciate having you on. I would like to, before you go, give you an opportunity to, one, um, tell the people where they can find you and your work, and then, two, a bold prediction for Saturday's game. 
Oh, man. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Nate Atkins underscore. Um, I'm also at the Indy Stars, IndyStar.com slash Colts. It's kind of where all my stories wind up. And then, gee, a bold prediction for Saturday. I'm just, we're just coming out of the bye week, so I'm trying to trying to kind of process through some of this. But um, I guess – I guess, like, I've been waiting all season for the real, real big Michael Pittman Jr. game. He's had a couple of, with a lot of catches, but I'm just going to say this is a game where, because the Colts are chasing points and they're facing a vulnerable uh, pass defense, I think Michael Pittman Jr. has has his best game. And if, if we're going bold, I'll say that he, uh, we'll, we'll say that he, we'll say he pushes like 180 receiving yards. So it'd be a lot for Colts Colts offense, but I I do think he's good and and he's due for one moment this year like that. I mean, the Vikings did just saw 369 passing yards to Mike White. So at at this point, anything's possible, even if it's for um, pasta noodle arm Matt Ryan. Um, Nate, always appreciate chatting with you. Thank you for your time. And hopefully we'll see you down in Mobile here in a few weeks. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. Thanks, Nate. All right. Thank you, man. Well, yep. that was absolutely fantastic here. Nate is one of the best uh, when it comes to covering the NFL. Make sure you give him a follow, and he will keep you updated with your Colts primers for this week. Dave, we have a lot to talk about from the Vikings' perspective, and I want to start here. We do. You disagree with my takes on Ed Donatel, and I want to fight you about it. Um, hey. It's, it's, it's not so much that, but I do think that this is a really good conversation. Um I think that it would be a mistake, as Dave takes me on video while he transitions screens, I think it would be a mistake to fire Ed Donatel. And the reason I think it would be a mistake, Dave, is because you're year one in a system, you're trying to install it, and after having some conversations with people smarter than myself, one thing that's completely different about this defense is you are much more aggressive than passive. Now, with Mike Zimmer's defense, it was all about discipline. You play your gap. You make sure that you handle your responsibilities this defense is more see react be aggressive attack and because it's a different mindset you have people playing completely differently they're also learning this system and you can tell the biggest issue for the minnesota vikings outside of a void of talent is mental mistakes cam dancer letting a receiver get past him in cover three mental mistake cam bynum Biting on the digger out while Jameson Williams cuts a post on his backside. Mental mistake. I, I think you'd be wrong to fire him considering he's void of talent. You draft three secondary guys to eventually take larger roles in this defense. And guess what? They're all an injured reserve. So like, I, I just feel like it would be too premature to fire him. I think you need to take time and quite frankly, Doing so at this point with a brand new defense, I think would actually be a detriment to any kind of future success the Vikings would have this season. But you're a smart man, Dave. I'm willing to listen and potentially change my opinion. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, 
It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snacket. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. First off, lack of talent. That argument is BS. This team is more talented this season than it was last season. Last season, the Vikings defense, (laughs) even though it sucked in the Final two minutes of the halves was better overall results. They were first or second in sacks last year. They were top five in pressures. They were number one in third down denials. Uh, They were good in the red zone. They were better. They let less points than this defense did. And there are really, it's basically the same guys minus two new ones that are playing. And I would say that some of those guys last year, like Patrick Peterson, is playing better this year. I think Dantzler's playing a little better when he's on the field and not hurt. But I I don't take that talent is the issue or that it's lacking. Now, the difference is... Ed Donatel wants to run the Fangio-style defense in a 3-4 setup. So if you picture that as putting round pegs in round holes, just like a two-year-old's going to do in his play toy, right, to make everything work, and if all the pegs go in, it's it's a beautiful thing. We know the Fangio defense works. Kevin O'Connell specifically wanted somebody that runs that style of defense because it's the hardest one to go against with his offense. It is used by, I think, 14 teams in the league. That's almost half. It is a, a very efficient and very effective defense, and it makes it hard on offenses. Well, yes, you want that. And then in a perfect scheme, you're putting all those round pegs and all those round holes, and everything's great. Well, he inherits a team that played the 4-3 and as the most part under Zimmer. So you have square pegs in square holes. Now you've got to mix those up. So he's taking square pegs, except for in two positions, um, and trying to fit them into round holes. That is his job, right? That's what Ed Donatel does. He's trying to do that. Now, however, this is where I fault Donatel. One of the things I fault him on. Donatel has come across to me as I watch the press conferences and everything else that he is very much like Childress. It is very much about the scheme. And I'm going to play these guys in the scheme to be or be damned. They're going to play the way I want them to play. I'm going to call it the way I want to call it, which is way too predictable. And we're going to make 
this work that way. I'm going to mash those square pegs into those round holes if it kills me, right? It was just like Childress back when he his offense wasn't performing and he came out with the kick-ass offense line. The offense he wanted, the dink and duck West Coast style, was a kick-ass offense, but he did not have the right talent around him. He did not have all the round pegs to put in all those round holes. And success for a coach, part of that is can you take what you have and maximize it, right? So the long-term goal, obviously, 3-4 Fangio-style defense. We all know that, right? It's a it's a good choice. I understand that decision. The problem is, are we going to sacrifice this year, possibly next year, to get to year three when we hopefully have 11 round pegs for the defense to fit in those 11 holes, when the defensive coordinator does not look to be maximizing his defense, scheming it with the players and their abilities that he actually has on the roster. That's what bugs me. It, we, Like I said, we either led or were second in sacks last year. And that's with Daniil Hunter out half of the season, right? And we're using Wanham on the other side for a good chunk of the season. And yet we got production. Those guys do not forget how to play. You have him this year. You have Zadarius Smith, who is the 3-4 guy, who starts out great. Uh, yeah, he's a little dinged up now, and he's nursing you know, some uh, nagging boo-boos. I think it's his knee or something. But he's there. He can still produce. And unless he does, defense doesn't seem to do worth a damn. But you can't get everything in sync. And we're not getting the pressures. We're not getting the sacks. And we are overly, overly, overly predictable on what he calls and that just irritates me to no end. You have talented players. These players suddenly didn't lose their talent. You're trying to switch their mindset. I agree with that. So that they think the communication deal, the correct decisions, especially on the back end over what they did. But you've got to take, you've got to be able to adjust now and then slowly do it till you get to that year three and four when you got nothing but round pegs. And so that you can maximize the defensive effect now, especially now in this season, when it's a magical season, we can go a long way in the playoffs. You've got to be able to do that now. Can Ed Donatel do that? He hasn't shown it. Now, does Kevin O'Connell think that way? Kevin O'Connell talks to the offensive guys, the favorite players and such, his staff, the stars, and they, what can we do better? And they pop ideas and they include those. Does that happen on the defensive side? Is Kevin O'Connell going to get involved with that? Um, I don't know. But does Ed, is he able to do that? Now, firing him, that would cause a whole lot of ruckus. Petten's obviously in the building, but do we want Petten? Petten failed in Green Bay for a reason. 
Um, Pat would be the logical choice, but we don't know what happens between Pat and, and Donatel during a normal week anyways. A lot of this influence may be Patton on Donatel, and if we remove Patton, Donatel gets better. I don't know. All I know is that the defense is performing horribly. You're giving up over 400 yards in the last five games. We are ranked 32nd in the league now. Thank you. We're last. We are worse than last year, and last year we had less talent. It's It's got to be um, Ed Donatel, yes, Davey, Ed Tonatel's old school, like Zimmer's old school, right? How they approach things. But still, there's old school coaches that can adapt and and relate to their players. So, it's, should they fire him? I don't know. It's going to be a big deal. Should they make changes this week? Oh, hell yes. It's a lot to take in, Dave. And I want to start long, here. Long rant. That's okay. That's okay because it was it was quality. It, I don't care how long it is. Um, my biggest takeaway from that is you saying that the defense isn't isn't void of talent. I I vehemently disagree, and I I want to point this out because one of your main arguments with that was, hey, Zimmer was still able to extract talent out of it. Sure, Zimmer was great. Zimmer is one of the best defensive schemers and play callers in football. If you put him on any defense, he would probably be a top three defensive play caller. I don't think there's there's really any debate there. My issue is just because Zimmer was able to extract a bunch out of these guys as an elite defensive play caller and schemer doesn't mean they're not void of talent. Now, this team on defense, in my opinion, is void of talent. They have three really good pass rushers. You've got Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith, and Hunter is just not able to figure out how to consistently win from that stand-up spot. Dalvin Tomlinson's been tremendous. Eric Kendricks is meh. Jordan Hicks is worse than that. You have Patrick Peterson. Yeah, but is he worse than Anthony Barr was last year? I think Anthony Barr, without a degenerative knee, thrives in this defense. But I also he's also not here because he's, his knee is basically a walking time bomb. Right. Like I, I, I see where you're going with this, and I understand it, but the responsibilities that they would have would be so incredibly different defense to defense that I think specifically Barr is uncomparable. But I do think Kendricks is very comparable because they're asked to do a lot of the same things. I just think Kendricks having to completely rewire his brain to play this defense, which is so different from how Mike Zimmer wanted him to play that I think you're having issues on the second level. You're having issues at corner. Patrick Peterson is at spurts of really good play. And quite frankly, I don't think he's an issue. Cam Bynum is a massive liability. You drafted somebody to replace him. You have Cam Dantzler, who's allowing DJ Chart to get past him on cover three. I'm going to chalk that up to the fact that he was just coming back from injury. You can't have that happen. In cover three, you can't let him take you over the top. And it's not like DJ Chark has like 4-2 speed. You're not talking Tyreek Hill here. He should be able to identify that quickly and get vertical enough so he's covered. That's just that's that's a fatal flaw. You have Duke Shelley playing real minutes on this team. You have Josh Patellas playing real minutes. Like that, that's what I'm talking about. And the depth pass rushers, you've had flashes from Patrick Jones. He had a really good game mm-hmm. against the New York Jets. DJ Wanham has been spotty at best. 
And then the defensive line, Harrison Phillips has been good. Outside of that, it's been a rotation of meh. Like, there are so many places on this defense that are just void of the talent that you need to really be successful. I think the bar for this defense, like the high bar, was probably like top 20. I don't think they didn't need to be great. We didn't have an expectation for them to be great. But you see with all these injuries and everything mounting up, it is compiling. And you pair that with the fact that I think Donatel as a play caller needs improvement. I think you and I are in lockstep there, Dave. I I think some of it's too predictable. He's not doing enough. Some of the pass rush concepts have just been abysmal. There was one where Zadarius Smith literally took about 10 years to go from <laughs> the B gap on the left side of the center all the way around the left tackle. All right? Like, there's some stuff that's just atrocious. But I think putting it all on Donatel is unfair because of the comparisons to Mike Zimmer. There is no comparison to Mike Zimmer. Unless your name is a Vic Fangio. That would be the only realistic defensive coordinator candidate where you could do an apples-to-apples comparison and say if Fangio's not extracting enough out of this defense, it's Vic Fangio. Like, Fangio is bad. But you have Ed Donatel. He was a protege of Fangio. And obviously he hasn't been a defense coordinator since 2006, but he's been with Vic Fangio for over a decade. He knows his defense inside and out. He's great with corners. And... I'm not willing to put it all on him because this talent on the defensive side is one, not where it needs to be, period. But even more specifically, not where it needs to be with what this defense is trying to be. And that you can partially blame on Donatel for not adjusting. Well, I was just about to say, even if I buy that, that it's not as good as it was, right? Or it's not, and it definitely is not where it needs to be when it comes to a Fangio style defense where you need. Fast corner, fast lockdown corners, and massive defensive tackles that can rush the passer and dominate. I got that. They don't have that. But the he's got to be able to use what he has and maximize it, where I see he's very rigid in how he's doing it. And I think that's going to be the to the detriment of, detriment of the team. Nobody wants us to go one and done in the playoffs. We want to be able to take what we have, mix things up a bit, and make a better response as we work over the next two or three years to get to that beautiful Fangio-style defense we want. And But if he's being rigid and trying everything now, and it's not working because maybe people aren't used to it enough, or whatever the excuse is, it's we're going. The Vikings are going to suffer, and they're probably going to suffer in the playoffs, like we all dread, one and done, or something stupid like that. We can deal with a wide left. That's in our history, right? But we can't stand when we get smoked, like in two thousand, when uh, we go to the Giants and end up losing forty-one donut, even though there was probably cheating on that, but. You don't like it. Or against, you know, in 2017 against the Eagles. Suddenly they figured out Zimmer's defense and they got beat. Zimmer couldn't make the adjustments quick enough. But if you could, uh, he's got to be able to do that. It's one of those things about when you're hiring a coach, you want to be able to find one that can make that. We see Kevin O'Connell try. 
and do it most of the time during the day, during the the games. Yeah, he got a little too cute this week on that jump pass attempt, but we see him. We've seen Kirk Cousins mature and just be a rock star yesterday, and then of course the greatest receiver in the game right now, Justin Jefferson, just ball out, right? And they work and they change and they adapt and they find ways to get the ball downfield and to win. How many comebacks have we had so far this season? Nine? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's you've got to be able to do that. We want to see the defense do that as well, to be able to go, oh, shit, we're down, all right? Rather than let them... Drive down the field, let's get a stop. Let's get a turnover. The times we've won and the times the defense have done well, they've done it via turnover. Well, you can't do that all the time if you're predictable. If the offense, the opposing offense, knows what you're going to do, they're going to defeat it. And that's what we saw Sunday. So I think we both agree, Dave, uh, kind of to – tie this up and uh, put a bow on it because I want to talk about the offense. Um, this defense needs improvement. It needs yes. it bad. It oh, needs yeah. it drastically. It needs it fast. But I really struggle to see any benefit firing Ed Donatel with, with four games left in the regular season. I can understand if we want to have, have a discussion the day after the season ends, be like, hey, it didn't work. We tried it. We need to get a different protege of the system in order to fully maximize it. I I I really see no benefit in firing him at this point. Um well, well maybe not fire him. What if you make make somebody else a different play caller? Uh, Either one of the Isn't that the same thing? He's, like, still, uh, he's still he's still my, directing. He's just not calling Dave, the play. Here's 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 my thought process on it. it. If we were talking about let's let's Dial back to the Mike Zimmer regime, okay? Mike Mike Zimmer had um ha- had his uh, defensive coordinator Edwards forever, all right, because he had him. Like, if you were to make that change mid season, be like, hey, I'm going to give Edwards play calling responsibilities. All right, George can handle it. He's been doing it for he's been on this staff helping run and game plan this defense for a long time. That kind of change could potentially create a spark. I'm with you. Where I'm where I disagree is ex- that would be able to like you're talking about a brand new defense asking to completely change uh the play caller, the voice of the defense like four, 13 games into its first season. I just I struggle to fe- to see any kind of benefit with that. Yeah, but uh, there could we don't know. It's it's I don't. It's up to Kevin O'Connell. It's going to be this is when we talked about adversity for Kevin O'Connell, right? We always talk about the bad game, the Dallas game getting blown out. You know, uh, certain mm-hmm. key injuries. Well, one of those big adversity tests is when your defense and defensive coordinator aren't living up to expectations that first season and how you deal with it. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens this week. It was obviously talked about on his press conference after the game. He pointedly pointed out some of the things. He talked about about it today and that they're going to look at 
reviewing and making some changes to make it better, which you've got to do. You've got to constantly be improving your position. So let's hope it works. That's all I can say is let's hope it works. And the Colts game is a perfect get-right game to get that ball rolling. It absolutely is a get-right game. And let's talk about some positives, Dave, because we had positives in this game. Their names are Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. God, they were they look, rocked Sunday. Look, I have been a major detractor of Kirk Cousins, but let me tell you, there is no take coming out of that game where you can say anything other than Kirk Cousins was exceptional. He played an exceptional football game on Sunday. He found Jefferson. They they set a team record, 223 receiving yards for Jefferson. Kirk was 31 of 41 for 425 and two touchdowns. This team was able to move the football and move it regularly. They just came up a little bit short when it came to points. But it was not due to the fact that the uh, it wasn't offense's fault that this team lost. They need to figure out a way to run the football. Um, I think the addition of Christian Derrissaw, which is projected to be next week per uh, head coach Kevin O'Connell, having Derrissaw come back because their average yards per carry doubles with him in the lineup versus him out of the lineup. And you saw that impact this week. 17 carries for 22 yards against the Detroit Lions. It was was miserable. It was uh, a bloodbath. He has to come back because uh, Blake Brandle went on the – he didn't go on IR, but he's most likely to go he on will. IR. He's he, he's already ruled out for at least four weeks because he tore his MCL on his knee. Yep, um, a really bad beat. He had been playing some good football. Um, mm-hmm. Perfect kind of swing great tackle backup. player. Yeah. You don't want him starting a lot, but, man, is he a great backup to have because he can go in there and not be a disaster. And, honestly, that's what you want to see from your backups. This offense – needs to continue to find ways to run the football. They need to be creative. And something I saw, they played Jalen Rager seven snaps in this game. I want to see more of Rager in the lineup. I want to see them trying to drive the ball downfield to him. And if they're unable to, run dagger. Get So dagger is a concept. On one side of the field, you have the slot go deep, a nine route, a goal route. Then on, the, on that same side, from the outside hash, Sorry, the numbers, you have a dig route underneath. So depending on what the safety does, if he takes the short route, you go deep. If he takes a deep route, you go short. One of them is supposed to be open, especially when you're talking about zone coverage. This is a nice little beater for quarters. This is something the that the Vikings mm-hmm. needs to take advantage of, and they're not doing enough with Jalen Rager to maximize the speed. I am out on K.J. Osborne as being any kind of a factor for this team. I just don't think he has it in him. He ha- He's a great story, good human being, but as a football player, he's not doing enough, and he doesn't have any kind of game-breaking or dynamic ability that's going to help the other guys on the roster. He's essentially a worse Adam Thielen. Like, and there's a spot for that guy on a team, but when you're talking about having the, potentially the greatest receiver to ever play football, Justin Jefferson, dominating like he is, you have to have some other element. And quite frankly, KJ doesn't have it. They need to figure that out, Dave. Something that I am very frustrated with that they haven't been using him. I wrote an article this past week making bold predictions for this game. I said he would have double-digit snaps. He got seven. So they're at least trying to work him in, and I want to see more of it. 
because that vertical ability, all you have to do is hit one. You hit one vertical shot, every team's going to buy it. And you you keep throwing it because every team is going to know that, hey, they hit it once, they'll hit it again. And that's and, all it takes. And if you hit it, it's a, it's a momentum grabber. And yesterday we were always behind when it came to momentum. We never had that one big play that grabbed the momentum back, which was a shame. Aaron, you made a good point with Smith being out yesterday. That made a huge difference on the back end, on the communications part of that between Bynum and Dantzler. Yeah, and it's – as we're going to kind of wrap up the show here in a little bit, Dave. That, that's what we need to see more of. We need to see a little more creativity at the run game. We need to see more Jalen Rager. And Justin Jefferson is uh, on this God-tier-like arc right now. Mm-hmm. It's truly impressive. Justin Jefferson has 1,500 receiving yards with four games to play. 2,000 is within his, his rate. grasp. Mm-hmm. Well, did you it's see this morning to think about. Chris uh, Carter was on with Kay Adams. And, oh, cool. Uh, Chris said... He believes Justin Jefferson has moved over Randy and himself right now and is easily projected to be the best receiver the Minnesota Vikings has ever had. And you're talking about better than Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Anthony Carter. You know, we've had some great ones. And uh, all the way back to Bud's days. And mm-hmm. that it's he, he's that good. But what, something else I like seeing was the targeting of uh, Hawkinson. Because TJ, yeah, you wanted to get him involved. It was at his old stadium and all that. But TJ did well 90% of those catches. Other than the one on the sideline. And TJ may have the same problem I had when I was in school. To catch everything in sight unless it's a perfect pass. That one on the sideline was perfect, set in his hands, and he dropped it. Happens. Yeah. Um, I do want to address this. Um, Raymond asks, why has uh, Rager not taken jobs of wide receiver already? And asks, is he better than Thielen or KJ? Look, there are a lot of reasons why coaches do certain things. Here is my take on it. I, I do not have any inside information. I think Osborne is practicing better than Rager. I think Osborne, as an overall player, has has a couple more tools and just technically is a better player than Rager. I think Rager's ability to stretch the field and go deep and be that guy, because they're already trying to get him touches, gadget plays, crossers. They hit that deep 38-yard pass to him against the Jets. They're trying. I just think that you're not getting enough from KJ to warrant keeping Rager out and adding that extra element. So I think it's more of a situational thing and a circumstantial thing rather than, hey, Rager is 100% a better player. He's a different player, and right now I think different is more important than necessarily better. I think Rager has a much, 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 much higher potential than K.J. Osborne does. I don't think Osborne's very good. The Vikings didn't either because they drafted him as a kick returner. He's a tremendous Mm -hmm. story, and he's played very well. But that's not everything, and we know that. Um, I think that you need to be a little careful. You need to take things under consideration. Um, 
I, I think they need to open up this offense, and I think Rager can be the catalyst of it. Mm-hmm. Like, Purple Hayes, um, TJ wasn't good. TJ only dropped one pass yesterday. He was targeted, what, like just, 10 times? It just so happened that that pass was important, a rough one to drop. Yeah, it would yeah. have been a first down, um, fresh set of downs. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this uh, this Vikings team, they are 10-3. and three. And their magic number is still one. They only need a win or a Lions loss to clinch the NFC North. And all of this is moot. They have four weeks to figure things out. They're not going to get the number one seed unless the um, Eagles just have a drastic collapse. Mm -hmm. They have to implode. Um, This team can still make a run in the playoffs. I am more concerned now than I ever have been about this team because of the consistent ineptitude on defense the lack of adjust, adjusting, and there are too many smart minds in that building to not at least get it figured out. All you have to do is play at a competent level. Play at a baseline, all right? Here, here's the line, okay? Underneath it is where they've been playing. Get up to it. That's it. We're not asking for a lot. We're asking for a baseline of play. You play like an average-ish defense or even below average and not inept, that is when you get games like the Miami Dolphins, where you allow some yards, but it was a two-score game before the Dolphins got that touchdown. Like, you, we just need a little bit extra, all right? Now, a couple housekeeping things from us. Make sure you uh, tune over at the Vikings Wire. The, I know it's before the season ends, but it's never too early for draft stuff. We are starting to break down the NFL draft and draft prospects, which, once the season's over, we are turning into an NFL draft show with a Minnesota Vikings focus. Um, my pin tweet is going to have a my big board, my positional rankings, and then there will be links for every single, every single scouting report, okay? Every single one. So you will want to make sure that you keep um, tuned in and it's going to be something that you are not going to want to miss because we are going to have some fun this season. Dave, what do we have on the network here this week? This week, on Wednesday, we have Vikings Happy Hour. Uh, I'm hoping it's moved to uh, be at Lake Monster Brewing, our partners, and be live because they couldn't do it last week there. We have that on Wednesday. Thursday, we'll have another Viking Hot Takes where Flip and Eric Look at the Colts game. I'm sure some of those takes will be there. Uh, some may be over what we talked about tonight as well. And uh, and then Saturday, we have the game. And in the final two minutes, we go live with the final score. And uh, we love when you join us there. And it's, we've had a great response so far this season on the final take on the final score. We appreciate it to no end. There will be no two old bloggers this week because the game's on Saturday. And uh, Darren decided, and along with me, that it might be best to take this week off. So, uh, because there isn't, you got just the final score on Saturday, and then we'll get back into it with the real Forno show next Monday. Mm Mm-hmm. And last question, Clifford, will I be scouting Tyler Kraft from South Dakota State? The answer is yes. Um, I'm doing positions in order of which I think the Vikings need. And quite frankly, I think they need to fortify the receiver room before they do anything else. 
Um, we will have those conversations here in time. In the meantime, enjoy the fact that the holiday season is upon us. No matter what you celebrate, celebrate the fact the Vikings are 10 and three and they have an opportunity to make a run in the playoffs. Until then, thank you for letting us turn your Mondays purple. Skull Vikings, baby. Skull Vikings. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.